Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the STEMcast podcast. The goal of our podcast is to create an accessible resource for students at all levels of STEM to be mentored by leading professionals and advance their careers. Your hosts for today's podcast are Sanji and myself, Roham. Today, we are very excited to bring in a very special guest, Dr. Aaron, who we will learn a bit more about over the course of this podcast. So let's just start off with a brief introduction about yourself. You can just tell you tell us a little bit about um, what you do and who you are. Sure. I, so my name is Sean Aaron, and I'm a uh, respirologist at the Ottawa Hospital. Um, I am what is called a uh, clinician scientist. That is that I do about 30% of my uh, time is spent doing clinical work, seeing patients, and about 70% is spent doing research. Can you go in a bit uh, more in depth and let us know maybe of your clinical roles and uh, responsibilities of respirologist? Sure. Uh, so um, as a clinician, uh, I have a few roles and responsibilities. The first is I'm the director of the Ottawa Adult Cystic Fibrosis Clinic. So that is a, a clinic where we take care of about 160 patients from Ottawa and West Quebec who have cystic fibrosis. So we're a specialty clinic uh, that deals with basically all of their healthcare needs. Uh, I also uh, hold regular clinics where I see patients with other lung diseases. So things like asthma, COPD, and pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, the last thing we do is that all of us in, in the Division of Respirology also uh, do attending work on the inpatient service. That's where we take care of patients who've been admitted to hospital with lung disease. And I spend about eight weeks a year uh, on the inpatient service of the Ottawa Hospital taking care of patients directly. Great, so um, aside from being a doctor, you also work as a senior scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. Can you talk to us a little bit about the type of research you do and the kind of impact you hope to have with it? Sure, yeah, I, the, the, I trained as a uh, clinical researcher. So I don't do research that many of you might think is typical research where you'd be um, in a laboratory working with uh, cells or chemicals. I'm actually doing uh, my research working directly with patients and people. Um, so I spent about 25 or 30 years of my career doing this sort of research and it's, it's great fun. I, I sort of specialize in large projects where we'll take hundreds or even thousands of patients and do uh, potentially clinical trials where we test new therapies on people to see if they work. Uh, I also do large cohort studies where we follow people over time to see basically uh, whether we can improve diagnosis of their disease or therapy for their disease or just get a better sense of prognosis of how their disease develops over time. So I've been doing this for years. Uh, these are large projects. Usually they involve multiple sites across Canada. And the beauty of doing a large project is you get a large patient number. So you can really make definite conclusions uh, about what you're looking for. So um, it's interesting that you've done mostly like big um, studies. Um, could you tell us a little about, um, about some of the previous investigations and maybe findings that you found? Sure, sure. I, I mean, I'm thrilled to do that. So one of the first big studies I did was actually for my master's thesis. So I had finished um, doing uh, training in internal medicine and ICU medicine and uh, respirology. And then after I finished my clinical training, I started a master's degree in epidemiology at the University of Ottawa. 
And for the master's degree, you have to do a thesis project, which is an original research project. So I started my thesis project. I was going to do a pilot study uh, just involving 30 patients because you don't want a, a thesis project that lasts for 20 years. Uh, it'll take you forever to get your degree. So I was just going to enroll 30 patients and I was going to test a treatment called prednisone, which is a strong anti-inflammatory treatment in people with acute uh, worsening of COPD in the emergency room. So I did this study and I uh, basically took people who came into the emergency room with acute exacerbations of COPD. Uh, COPD stands for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema. And I, I uh, randomized them in my pilot study to prednisone for 10 days or placebo, which is just basically a water pill or, or a, a sugar pill. And uh, we did this, I did this study of 30 patients and I wrote out my thesis, but the study went so well and the preliminary results on 30 patients seemed to be very promising. So I used that to um, get uh, a, a Canadian Institute of Health Research grant to do a larger study. And I ultimately did a study on several hundred patients. I just repeated my thesis study, but I quadrupled the number of patients I enrolled. And I ended up um, finding out that prednisone uh, was very useful to treat these people. It prevented them from relapsing within 30 days. So it prevented them from needing to come back to the emergency room with acute worsening of their disease. And we ended up, uh, you know, I ended up publishing that study in the New England Journal of Medicine. So it, it was probably actually the biggest um, break of my career because I took my thesis project and, and parlayed it into a New England Journal of Medicine article. Uh, so that was the first big study I ever tried and uh, probably the biggest success I ever had was with the first one. It's all been downhill from there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that's not true. Uh, that's very impressive. Wow. Um, I, you mentioned COPD and uh, earlier on, you also mentioned uh, cystic fibrosis. Um, in your opinion, like in terms of diagnosis and treatment, um, how advanced was the field of respirology when you first began your research and compared to now? Well, uh, when I first started doing my research was back in 1996. And evidence-based medicine was just starting to come to the forefront of people's consciousness. In other words, before that, doctors were just doing things because they thought it was the right thing to do, but there wasn't good evidence to base our treatments on. Uh, I was lucky because I started my career in clinical research when evidence-based medicine became really a big idea. And we decided that rather than follow the experts, and do what the professors tell us to do, we should really be proving that our treatments are beneficial and working. So back when I started, there was very little evidence-based medicine to base our practice on. Most of what we were doing was just based on what our professors and teachers had told us to do. Um, so, there, so I took that opportunity and started um, really doing large clinical studies to try to decide what the best way to treat people was, the best way to diagnose them was, and to really provide evidence to back up our clinical care. Um, so, the, so to answer your question, a long, you know, a short, a long answer for a short question, there wasn't much out there in cystic fibrosis or COPD when I started, but since then, the body of knowledge has, has just exploded. That's awesome. Um, so I know you mentioned your findings for with, with prednisone and um, experimental research and whatnot. Um, 
what other significant developments do you think that have been throughout the years that has uh, very much changed our understanding of these diseases? Well, for instance, in cystic fibrosis, the developments have been breathtaking. So, um, you know, if you go back to the history of cystic fibrosis, in the, um, in the 1950s, the average lifespan for a child born with cystic fibrosis was two years. So kids didn't make it out of infancy. Today, in 2020 or 2021, the average life expectancy for a patient born with cystic fibrosis is over 50 years. And in fact, it's, it's increasing by leaps and bounds. So we now have treatments for cystic fibrosis thanks to research done in the laboratory and done in patients, clinical research. We now have new treatments for cystic fibrosis that target the disease at its molecular source. And we can now reverse or at least control cystic fibrosis from an early age. Um, these treatments are revolutionary. They're pills that patients take twice a day. And we've seen that when patients take these pills, uh, their lung function will improve by 15 to 20% from baseline. And although this, the studies are not out yet because these are relatively new treatments and we don't have survival studies yet, we expect that these new treatments are gonna prolong survival by more than 20 years over what we have now. So I think that in the next 10 or 15 years, we're gonna see the average lifespan in cystic fibrosis go from age 52 to age 82. People with cystic fibrosis will be living normal lifespans within your and mine lifetime. That, that's just beautiful. It's, it's actually very it, it, incredible how, how far technology has become and how much the field has progressed and how the impact it's having on people's lives. Um, you mentioned, you know, the current um, technologies and current uh, medications that we have, the, how much has it affected us compared from before? And you also dabbled a little bit into the uh, years to come. But other than cystic fibrosis or maybe other uh, uh, fields of respirology, do you think there's any other exciting new avenues that are emerging and uh, that are used to treat uh, chronic pulmonary diseases? Yeah, absolutely. So, um... For one, asthma has been revolutionized, especially uh, severe asthma. But if you look back 20 years ago, the emergency departments were full of asthma. Patients with asthma were flooding into ICUs needing uh, mechanical ventilation. And a large, pro a large percentage of patients with severe asthma were still dying of asthma. Um, nowadays, 20, 20, 25 years later, I can't remember the last asthmatic who came to the emergency room or needed admission. It's really rare. We have fantastic treatments for asthma, which in mild and moderate asthmatics can control the disease and keep these patients perfectly well. And we have exciting new biologic treatments for severe asthma, which uh, frequently in the past would, would patients with severe uncontrolled asthma would, would have very, very constrained lives. They, they would almost always be in and out of hospital. They'd be on and off prednisone. They would really lead quite uh, miserable lives. We now have biologic treatments for asthma. Um, they're monoclonal antibodies that treat the inflammation associated with asthma. And they're revolutionary. Patients with severe asthma can become asymptomatic with these treatments. So what I'm trying to say is that medicine and medical treatments have absolutely revolutionized care for patients with chronic disease in the last 20 or 25 years. 
and diseases that were killing people before are now easily controlled with new medication. It's really a wonderful time to be in medicine. Yeah, um, as someone who has asthma myself, I'm pretty grateful for all the advancements. Um, but on top of your research, you're also the principal investigator and director of the Canadian Respiratory Research Network. Um, what is the goal of the CRRN? And in your opinion, why is it important to have these types of networks in research? Well, our goal is uh, we're, we're, we're a network of about 150 researchers in chronic lung disease, and we specialize in asthma and COPD. And our goal is to improve treatment and diagnosis and research into asthma and COPD uh, to improve health across Canada and across the world internationally. And we collaborate on all sorts of studies. Uh, we're we're a, uh, a very strong uh, uh, interconnected network of basic scientists, clinical researchers, as well as population health researchers and health services researchers. And we try to do studies from the bench to the bedside. And we try to collaborate and bring the bench researchers together with clinical researchers. So it's been an amazingly uh, important uh, network. We have probably, over the last five, or five to seven years, uh, we've gotten millions of dollars in grants. We've done multiple studies and we've published over 150 papers as a network. So we really, I think, advanced the field in Canada. And by getting Canadian scientists together and getting them all talking, and making sure Canadian scientists who are interested in asthma and COPD can get together every year and collaborate with their peers, we've really moved the field forward for Canada. And we're very proud of that. I mean, it's just a, a testament to, uh, to can Canadian ingenuity and Canadian can do. We've really uh, managed to really accomplish a lot in just seven years. That's absolutely fascinating uh, and very wonderful to hear. Um, moving on to more, you know, uh, currently uh, affecting us uh, situations, you know, COVID-19, that's been a, a major factor through our lives in the past uh, couple of months, maybe a year or so, uh, which is an, also an airborne disease and most commonly affects the respiratory system. Um, has your role as a respiratory doctor um, and researcher been affected by this? Uh, yeah, some of it negative. Uh, in fact, most of it negative, a little bit of it positive. Um, so uh, right now, uh, you know, I'm in the midst of a very large um, uh, four million dollar study to to look at trying to uh, uh, make early diagnoses of asthma and COPD in the community. And once we make an early diagnosis in someone who didn't know they had asthma and COPD, we're actually putting them in a clinical trial and randomizing them to intensive care for their asthma or COPD or to usual care. And this is a study that's um, enrolling uh, thousands of people across Canada in 16 sites. And unfortunately, uh, COVID has, um, has, has negatively infected my study. Um, uh, the problem is, of course, that if you're trying to pick up people uh, with undiagnosed asthma or COPD, these are folks who are almost all complaining of cough or shortness of breath or wheeze or other respiratory problems. And it's difficult when they come into the study complaining of those symptoms to, to know that they don't have COVID as well. And so uh, unfortunately, many of the sites that are doing my study have had to uh, shut down uh, at least temporarily because of uh, COVID infectious concerns. So 
in that sense, COVID has uh, definitely negative impacted my research and it's impacted research of many clinical researchers across Canada. There are many studies that have had to temporarily stop uh, because of COVID. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not um, uh, feeling sorry for myself uh, because, you know, usual activities have stopped across Canada because of COVID. So um, I'm just, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, one more example of the, uh, uh, of how COVID has negatively impacted Canadians and Canadian progress. Um, on a clinical perspective, on the other hand, COVID has certainly been um, very interesting. Uh, clearly, uh, in respirology, we're affected because our patients have lung disease. And when they get COVID, uh, they get twice as sick as they otherwise would be. Um, so we are um, uh, obviously uh, still taking care of our patients with respiratory disease. And we're uh, closely looking for COVID whenever they come into the hospital. And uh, we're trying to treat them and stay on top of the respiratory disease in the community to keep them safe. Um, so a large part of my job now is uh, giving um, healthcare advice to my patients with chronic lung disease and letting them know what I think is safe practice and what's not. Obviously, I, I, I have to counsel them all to, um, to, to try to uh, observe uh, public health regulations and try to protect themselves as much as possible from getting COVID. Uh, when they come in with COVID, uh, we treat them uh, as we would um, any COVID patient, but we also uh, treat the respiratory disease aggressively to try to keep them well and keep them from deteriorating and needing ICU care. All the doctors that we've interviewed in the past have had sort of a unique and distinct path to medicine. So we would like to ask you as well, sort of what your journey was like and sort of to get to where you are today. Well, I, I, my journey was a long one. Um, because, um, because I decided that it would be once I was in medicine that I wanted to do as much training as possible to become an academic uh, clinician scientist. So, um, you know, you know as, as most of you know, if you're, if you're a young um, uh, viewer of this podcast or a young listener of this podcast, you'll know that um, it's not easy to get into medicine, obviously, and it's a hard journey just getting in. You have to slog away and you have to get excellent marks in undergrad and you probably have to do some research and get some very good summer jobs and, and lab opportunities. So it's, it's a bit of a slog and I did that same slog and I did a bachelor degree in um, a bachelor of science at McGill and then I got into medicine after my bachelor of science degree. But then I decided that I was going to make the most of being a doctor and train myself as, as rigorously as I could to be a, a, a clinician scientist. So I did, uh, you know, once I graduated medicine, which was four years at med school, I then did three years of internal medicine residency. And then I did another three years of respirology combined with critical care residency. And then I did another three years of a master degree. So if you go back to uh, BSC um, uh, being four years, med school being four years, that's eight, uh, six years of residency is 14, and then three years of, a, of graduate school is 17 years. I was in school from 17 years after high school uh, until I finished and uh, completed all of my schooling and training. So um, it's a slog, but I'll never regret any of it. It was all worth it. The one, you know, some of you are listening in 
and, and wondering what you should do with your lives. Uh, my, uh, my advice is if you want to go into medicine, uh, you know, it's a great career. It's really fun. It's intellectually challenging. And the more training you get, the better off you will be. You'll never regret doing the harder residency. You'll never regret doing a graduate degree. Um, you know, keep pushing yourself. Keep, keep, keep trying to get to the next level because you'll, you'll, in the end, when you're, when you're done it all and it's time to retire, you're going to say, geez, I'm really glad I worked as hard as I did because the rewards were amazing. Well, thank you for those uh, words of wisdom. Um, when did you first discover that you specifically want to do um, respiratory like medicine? Like when do you realize that's sort of the specialty you want to do? I think I was um, um, uh, in undergrad, actually. I was doing a, a Bachelor of Science with honors in physiology. And we had a physiology course on the respiratory system. And the, the physiology was incredible. It was the most... Um, uh, technical, most in-depth physiology of any of the systems. Uh, and I just decided, well, this is, this is the area for me. This is where I can really uh, apply all the knowledge I learned in my undergrad degree. And so it just sort of seemed a natural fit. So um, that's very interesting. Uh, and the way that you, that you came about uh, discovering your, 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 a desire for respiratory medicine and medicine in general. Um, now, I know that the audience listening to our podcast, uh, a lot of them are actually interested in the field of medicine. Um, now, the field of medicine is obviously not for everyone. Um, and you yourself, you do a lot of research, but I'm sure a lot of doctors, not everyone, especially not everyone who wants to go into the field of medicine, um, may be that uh, research uh, focused or... Uh, what do you think, like, who, what would you say, uh, how would someone who wants to, who, who thinks of going into the field of medicine, how would they know that is something that is meant for them, that is something that is suitable for them, and uh, that it's like a calling? Well, you know, the, the beauty of the field of medicine is that it, 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 it encompasses so many different things. So if you're someone who, who isn't um, keen on working with patients, and there are some doctors who who don't really love working with patients. You can do so much other than work with patients and still make amazing contributions to science and to medicine. So I have lots of colleagues who went into medicine who are now uh, pathologists um, working, you know, um, on diagnosis of disease and, 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 and doing, usually they don't do very many autopsies anymore, but they, they examine tissues that come out of patients to make diagnoses. I have uh, medical colleagues who are medical microbiologists working with viruses and bacteria. I have other colleagues, medical biochemists. So the bottom line is you don't have to love uh, doing direct patient care to be a physician and to be very successful. Uh, the other things you'll, you, you can see, and everybody's seen these doctors on, on the TV lately, are, are doctors like Dr. Uh, Teresa Tam and Dr. Vera Etches, uh, public health specialists who are interested in keeping populations healthy rather than individuals health, healthy. They don't pick up a stethoscope and examine the, the patient in front of them on the, on the examining table, but they do a different type of exam where they examine the population and try to figure out what diseases are circulating in populations and how can I help the community to keep it safer and healthier. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there's so many avenues of medicine that if you're interested in anything 
related to health sciences or sciences in general, I think you can find your calling in medicine and be very happy. Thank you so much, Dr. Aaron. Um, I appreciate everything uh, you're doing with your, for your time today. It looks like those are all of the questions that we wanted to ask you. So thank you very much once again uh, for taking the time out of your busy day to support our podcast and our audience. And um, as for those of you at home, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and learned a little more about Dr. Aaron. We hope to see you in two weeks for our next episode. Have a great day, everyone.